0: This is a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord and to consider the stories of the church and what it is that makes us who we are. You know, don't you, that the church in its earliest days was absolutely electric. With excitement and purpose. This is exactly the way that it felt on that day of Pentecost. As Luke tells the story, this writer of this fascinating book of Acts, as he tells the story, he can hardly contain his own excitement to share with us the story of the birth of the church in this place. The wind of God come by way of the Holy Spirit that drives itself into the room where they are gathered and as they hear the sound of this rushing wind and look around, it's almost as the scripture tells. It's almost as if there is fire on everybody's head. They are so driven by the Spirit of God that they spill into the streets of Jerusalem They're speaking in languages that they don't even know. People look at them and think they're drunk. They're drunk. They're just crazy drunk. It is a spectacle to behold the church experiencing what God intends all along. Peter, preaching in these streets, cannot contain himself. He doesn't even know, I don't think, maybe where he's pulling his scriptures. But he finds this passage in Joel welling up within his soul as he begins to share this incredible longing of his heart. He says, "...in the last days it will be God declares, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh." And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon the slaves, men and women, in those days I'll pour out my spirit. And the reason that he was so involved with Joel was he saw it happening. Right now he saw it happening there before all that were gathered. He was a part of what God was doing in the world. You and I, we see this way of vision, but often we look at it from afar. It's a mystery to us, just what is going on in the scripture. You and I find that when things are really, really good, and we experience things that are really good, it's hard to sustain what is really, really good. Now, think about this for just a minute. Is there a time that you can remember in your life when you have had an experience that was better than it is right now? Now, be honest with yourself, okay? Be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. (laughs) But if you can think of a time that you had whatever mountaintop experience that is better than what you're experiencing right now, just in general in life. Usually what we find is a sense of malaise, a sense of dissatisfaction with where we are now. But it's interesting because you and I want to remember, so much so we want to remember that we will do anything to hold on to those things that were good that went before. We will even build structures that would contain this spirit in some way. I hear people talk about the birth of Pittman Park here back in the late 1950s and how The church, even they remember before this building was put in place, that it was so filled with life that that when it finally was given a home, there was such a vibrancy about what was going on that it was uncontainable. Some of you may remember how that was. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if God were to do that again? Now, you and I know that the institution of the church has at its core this dysfunction of a split personality. I'm going to tell you that again, okay, as your pastor, because i if you don't know this, you need to know it, that the church has this curse of dysfunctionality about it. The reason is because it is birthed Out of the Holy Spirit's move. And who knows where the Spirit's going to go, right? I mean, at one time it's here, at another it's there. Who can predict where the Holy Spirit's going to move? It is like this raging wind that will show up when it will show up. But that's not the way the church runs, is it? You and I are pretty predictable. In fact, we try to keep things pretty predictable. That's the way that we handle life. In fact, I'm looking out at a lot of predictability right here. I I I see that you are literally in your places (laughs) as I so you are in your spots that you have chosen and and that's good. That's right. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. But it is interesting how much we want to keep this sameness to life. But in regard to the church, in regard to the church, this split personality can get us in trouble because if we err on the side of simply remembering, keeping the structure of the church, the institutional memory alive, more than we err on the side of maybe just letting it all go, you know, and letting the Holy Spirit drive what's going on then we will find ourselves devoid of this sense of godness. I I hope and I pray that there will be this essential and vital purpose that will preserve itself within who we are. I've shared with some of you that I'm a collector of rocks. I Now, I'm not talking about precious stones, if you... If you uh, come to see my rock collection, and, and let me first admit to you that it, my rock collection is still within a box. I, I, you may have thought that I had totally moved in to the church office, but I have a box back in a closet there in my office that I haven't unpacked yet because I haven't decided exactly where I want to put them yet. But it is filled with rocks. Now, these are not precious stones except to me. They are from all over, literally all over. Some I have collected myself on the few little travels that I have been on since my boyhood. Some have come from places that I I have never been. I have asked people over the last several years, if you go in some place, bring me a rock. It costs you nothing, bring me a rock. I've got rocks from Africa and Egypt and I got rocks from everywhere. I I ride on the back of the rock and I think to myself, this is a precious rock. Now, some of you may say that's a sad excuse for traveling the world. (laughs) But let me tell you, it's all in your perspective, you know, it's all in your perspective. It's all in your perspective. I had one person that, that went to Africa and he brought me back a rock from Africa that actually is some kind of volcanic rock. It's, it's smooth, and yet it's rough at the same time. But it actually is shaped like the continent. And he picked it up and brought it to me. He picked it up off the ground and brought it to me and said, I think this will be an easy rock to remember where it's from. It's fascinating just to look at those rocks. Now... Some of you realize that Sue and I had a chance to get away for a few days this past week. We went up to the North Georgia mountains, and we stayed a few days there near Blue Ridge. If you've ever been to Blue Ridge, it's a gorgeous little community. It's set up especially for we tourists who come to town, got lots of little shops. And Sue and I took one day particularly where we wandered the streets and looked in and and did a lot of window shopping and and thinking we came upon one shop shop that was a shop that was specifically filled with rocks you talk about a happy preacher <laughs> we walked in the door and i'm telling you these these rocks were rocks that that uh, we're not much in the category of our affordability. But Sue looked at me and she said, you want to buy a rock? And I said, I just want to take it all in. And we walked through and, and looked at beautiful stones. Again, from all over the world, of course. And, but highly polished and just fascinating stones. And we made our way through and to the back of the store there, I realized that all of a sudden I, I was surrounded by Fossils which was something that I had not had in my mind. When I entered the store, I was thinking about rocks, but I had not thought about fossils. And there on these rocks were these impressions of sea creatures of years years, and years ago, just just beautiful artwork on these stones. And I was fascinated. There was a fish that was there that was there in its entirety. And... And the owner of the shop came over to me. He said, you interested in this? I said, very interested in this. He said, you'd be interested to know that these came from Arizona. I said, Arizona? He said, yeah, when it was long ago, long ago, covered up by the oceans. And this fish, as the waters receded, just lay down to die on the sand. And as they have discovered these uh, in their quarrying stone, as as they have... Uh, discovered these there have been persons that have taken just painstaking work at at removing just the slightest bit to it, reveal what is there of the fish and it was just artwork it really was amazing yeah I mean you could see the the uh, the scales of the fish you could see the ribs as they were there on the edge of the fish you could see the the fins in all of their detail the mouth frozen in its place the eyes almost looked like they we're looking at you. It was amazing how real this fish looked. And I, as I, I was taking it all in, I finally was thinking, well, I, I've got to go now. And I was about to leave, and I heard this whisper. At least I thought it was a whisper. I, I stopped for just a moment and looked around, and, and then I heard this whisper again, and I thought, this fish is talking to me. <laughs> And I moved over closer. His lips were not moving. But I heard distinctly this fish whispering to me. And I got my ear right up next to it. And you know what this fish was saying to me? He was saying, I'd rather be alive. (laughs) I'd rather be alive. And I said, but you're beautiful. Listen, you're beautiful. You're laying here all for the world to see. You've got just beauty written all over you. He said to me, I'd rather be alive. And I saw into his heart at that point, And I saw the fish that he used to be swimming through the ocean. This ocean bathed with the colors of God's beautiful world. Sailing almost as if he's on the sea with those fins afloat. But catching the wind of the spirit. Diving to the depths. And. Moving to those places where we can only just barely imagine all that he was a part of. I think to myself, oh church, oh church, do we have this wish within us to be alive? Do you really want to be alive in Christ? Are you accepting of the idea of the fossilized church as it is for the most part? Or do you really want to be alive as the church still being birthed in this world? We've already mentioned that yesterday we had cleanup day here at the church. It is amazing what you can find in the corners of the church. People will put stuff there and think to themselves, somebody will use this again? I mean, Sunday school literature from 1972. (laughs) Somebody will use this again? Somebody will use this again? Let me tell you, we were throwing some stuff out yesterday, friends. Where does the fossilized church get us? It gets us nowhere. You and I are called to be living, breathing examples of God's movement throughout the world. When Peter was experiencing this vision, it's a good thing that it was preceded by the vision in another man's heart because sometimes it takes somebody else to wake us up to who we are and what we need. Cornelius, this centurion, was in Caesarea, and just up the road, a short distance, there beside the sea, this village of Jaffa, there Peter was waiting for his lunch on the roof of this house. He was in prayer, and this vision came to him. Now, the centurion's prayer, Cornelius' prayer, was very simple. His prayer was, God, I love you. Be present with me. His vision was, I am with you. You are a precious soul, Send someone, go visit this man in Jaffa. Well, when the centurion took that advice and sent representatives to Jaffa, when they knocked on the door, it was right at the end of a vision that Peter was having himself midday. This vision that was far more complicated for him. This vision of this canopy being let down repeatedly before him and on this, each glimpse that he had was that it was filled with things that Jews don't touch, much less less eat. And yet the word from God in the midst of that vision was, Take and eat. What could this mean, Peter was saying? When these visitors came in, they said, The vision on this side is that you would come and visit the one who sent us here. And by the vision that Peter had, he knew something was going on. And so he followed them and they went to Caesarea. And when they arrived at the house of Cornelius, Cornelius was so overwhelmed with Peter's presence that he fell down and began to worship Peter. And of course, Peter said, no, hey, listen, I'm not God here. Get up. And Peter began to listen to Cornelius' explanation of his vision. You know what Peter said? His first words to Cornelius, this Roman officer. You know what he said to Cornelius? Over in the 34th verse, it's, recorded that Peter began to speak to them. And he said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. You think that was an easy thing for Peter to come to? Wasn't going to happen. Were it not for his vision and were it not for Cornelius' vision." And his seeing that God was working in Cornelius' life, even though Cornelius didn't look like a Jew. Peter needed to see that God could work in places that even he didn't expect for God to be at work. You see, this is one of the curses of the church this day, is that it is so limiting of its own potential because it says, God certainly couldn't be at work in that person knowing who that person is. You hear me this morning? God is at work everywhere, friends. And the thing that Pittman Park needs to do is to get on board with the idea that the Spirit is going to show up where the Spirit is going to show up. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Brian Stone wrote a book that he entitled Evangelism After Christendom. That's an interesting title. Provocative, isn't it? In that volume, he says, Faithful evangelism is an invitation to be strange, to become a member of a prototypical but inevitably deviant community intended by God for the whole world. He went on to say evangelism is a practice that is performed at the boundaries And among the edges of difference. You see, that's what Peter was coming to. Even on the day of Pentecost, when those disciples, Peter among them, spilled out onto the streets and began to speak the languages of all of those that were gathered there. You know that they were speaking to Jews, don't you? They weren't speaking to Gentiles there. The streets of Jerusalem were filled with Jews. They were there for the festival. This was another step that God was taking Peter to. You and I are far more comfortable with the idea of gathering around people that are like us. Folk like us are the ones that God is sending us to, to build His church. Get another vision here, friends. The vision of the way is that God will use us to connect with people that don't look anything like us. This is the way the Spirit moves. ...in the midst of birthing the church as it continues to be birthed even to this day. I love to talk to preschoolers. Uh, Recently I had the opportunity to sit down on a bench in a mall... ...and it happened to be that there was a grandmother there with her granddaughter. The granddaughter was about four years of age... And I talked about miscellaneous and sundry things. And then I saw the opportunity and I I said, now, are y'all involved with a church anywhere? You know, you got to ask that question if you're a preacher. That's written in the job description. It is written there, man. And and before the, the grandmother could say anything, before the grandmother could say anything, the the little four-year-old, jumped in, and, and she said, oh, yes, yeah. she said, we go to such-and-such such a church. And she said, Mama takes me, and we're there every Sunday. And I was shaking my head, and I was saying, good. But then she, she continued. Um, she said, she said, my daddy. I said, yes, my daddy, she said, he loves Jesus, but he doesn't love the church. He doesn't go to church. Do you all remember Art Linkletter and that little segment that he had, kids will say the darndest things, you know, that that little, that, that pause was there for me. I didn't know what to say. I, I didn't. That's a rare thing for a preacher. I didn't know what to say. I looked at her and I... I just just agreed with her that somehow in the midst of this, God was at work, in, even in her daddy, who was not going to church. But as I left there, what continued to haunt me was, why is it that her daddy didn't love the church? My thinking now is, That her daddy had only seen a fossilized version of what the church was about. You hear me? Only a fossilized version can you not fall in love with. Because the real thing, the breathing thing, the thing that is filled and inspired with the Holy Spirit is a glorious thing to behold. And Lord, I hope that is always a part of who we are. Here at Pittman Park. This is the glory of God's working amidst us. I think to myself. So what are we to do? Oh come on. What are we to do? What are we to do? That's a good question. I would say. Let's be like Cornelius here, okay? I don't think Peter had a clue what he was praying for. I don't think he had a clue what he was praying for. But I think Cornelius may have understood, at this point, God even better than Peter. This outsider who wanted to be in on the story, and who is in on the story, Is the one whom God was smiling upon. I can almost hear you whispering now. I can almost hear you whispering. I'd rather be living. Do you feel that in yourself? I'd rather be living. I can feel it in me. I'd rather be living. I'd rather be living, oh man, I'd rather be living. So live, just live, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. For this is the very thing that is the birthing of the church in this day.